We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church. This morning I want to continue talking to you about vision. Now when we talk about vision, sometimes it helps to have something that's in front of us. You know what I mean? So it reminds me of the uh, pastor who decided to do a demonstration, a visual, of his message. And he was talking to the people about how clean living uh, is so much better for you. So he took four worms and put them in four different jars. The first worm went into a jar of alcohol. The second worm went into a jar of cigarette smoke. The third worm went into a jar of chocolate syrup. And the last worm went into a jar of clean, pure soil. Had him sitting there on the platform, and then at the end of the service, he gave the result. The first worm in alcohol, it was dead. Second worm in cigarette smoke, it was dead. Third worm in chocolate syrup, it was dead. But the fourth worm in that good, clean soil, it was alive and thriving. And then he said, this is a mistake you never want to make when you're speaking. Always know what the answer will be before you ask the question, right? Then he said, what does that teach us? And a little 10-year-old girl on the front row says, well, it teaches us if you drink, smoke, and eat chocolate, you'll never have worms. (laughs) That pretty much ended the service. Vision. Let's talk about vision this morning. Can you see what God wants to do in and through us? Last week, we talked about the fact that if we understand God's vision for us, we understand we exist for those who are not yet here. I look around this morning, and I know there's a lot that are not yet here. Spring break in Tallahassee, people go to the mountains, the beach, and Disney World. That's where they're at, I guarantee you. They're down there with Mickey. People are out of town today, uh, and we understand that. That's all good, well, and wonderful. But we're here for those who are not here yet. Today I want to talk to you about we are here, we exist, because we are asking people to do an unbelievable thing. Do you realize that when we ask people to come to Jesus Christ, we are in fact asking them to come and die, to lay their life down, and to pick up the life that He's calling them to live. Now I know much of modern Christianity doesn't have that as a part of the equation, but biblical Christianity still invites people to come and die. To die to self and to live to Jesus Christ. Jesus said, he who loses his life shall find it. He also went on to say, come, take up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. Paul said, I die daily. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not palatable to the sinful fleshful man. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that recognition, understanding begins to come. Matter of fact, you can see in the book of Acts, chapter 15, where Gentiles were coming to know Jesus Christ across that portion of the world. And as a result, the Jews who had come to Christ decided that the Gentiles needed to follow Mosaic law as well. And they were insisting upon following the conditions of the Mosaic law. As a result, a whole council, a convention, was convened in Jerusalem. And Peter was there, James was there, Paul was there, and they were talking about what God had done through the Gentiles. Peter stood up and said in Acts 15, hey, God used me first to take the message to the Gentiles. And then James, who was the leader of the Jerusalem church, stood up and said these words, it's my judgment that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are trusting God, turning to God. You see, friend, we need to hear that today. Because too many times 
When we ask people to come and die, we're not simply asking them to follow Jesus. We're asking them to follow our rules, our traditions, the way we interpret Christianity. But really all God wants them to do is come and follow Jesus. Because when we determine to be Jesus followers, our lives are transformed. Things are turned upside down for the good when we follow Jesus. So when we think about that, we realize that God is calling us to ask people to do a very difficult thing at the onset. But how many of you will say it's been well worth it to come and die and to live for Jesus Christ? Can you say amen? You see, the writer of Proverbs twenty nine eighteen, Solomon, said it this way, Where there is no vision, people perish. From the Message Bible, it reads in this way, If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. You see, when we don't understand, God is calling us to a place where we lay down our lives, we pick up our cross, and we follow Him. We stumble all over ourselves. We get confused in religion. We get bound up by traditions. But when we understand, He's asked me to come and die, and I've willingly done it. I've laid laid down my life and picked up His cross, and it's like nothing I've ever experienced before. I'm here to tell you, it's wonderful to serve Jesus. It's not a burden. It's not drudgery. It's not rules and regulations. But serving Jesus is life and life evermore, life everlasting, life abundantly. So we understand if we're going to have the vision that God has for this church, for this city, for this world, we have to invite people to come and die. Come and die. It's not a matter of watering down the gospel. It's not a matter of changing the formulas for salvation. It's a matter of saying, when you accept Jesus Christ, that old man, he's going to die. But the good news is, a new man is going to arise, and everything that you receive is from the hand of the Father. And every good and every perfect gift comes from the Father. We begin to show them the advantages of coming and dying to ourselves and living for Jesus Christ. So if, in fact, that's a part of our vision, and it is then we shouldn't make things any more difficult than it already is to bring people to Jesus. Yet how often do we do that very thing? How often do we allow our preferences? How often do we allow our rules, our traditions, to stand in the way of men coming to God? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if I did, mine would be the first one up. How many of you know someone, or maybe you yourself, have rejected modern Christianity because you didn't want to deal with all the do's and the don'ts, the lists, the regulations, all the nonsense that so often accompanies it. I did. My my folks raised me in church, but I rejected every part of that because what I saw isn't what I needed. Listen, folks, people don't need another list of rules and regulations. You cannot legislate salvation. What they need is life through Jesus Christ that trans- transforms, that revolutionizes, that gives us hope and a future. Oh, come on, lay aside those nonsensical things and let's pursue God. Let's not make it any harder than it already is for people to come to know Jesus Christ. Jesus talking to the Pharisees in Mark chapter 7, and you should read that entire passage, by the way, tells them many things. But one thing that stood out, he said, you ignore God's law and substitute it for your traditions. That's Mark 7 verse 8. You ignore God's law and substitute it for your traditions. 
How many of you realize that the Pharisees actually came into existence at the time of Nehemiah? When Nehemiah came back from Babylonian captivity to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, Ezra read the law to the people for the first time in hundreds of years. And at that point, a group arose for one purpose, and it was a pure purpose. That purpose was to protect the law of God. So the Pharisees then began building fences around the law. One after another, after another, after another. And all they were doing was adding to the law of God. In order to be righteous, you have to wash your hands before you eat. Jesus had that conversation with them. In order to be righteous, you can't heal somebody on the Sabbath day. He challenged it regularly. Do you hear what I'm saying? They built all these fences around the law of God, trying to protect the law, when in reality all they were doing was keeping men further from God. Getting them steeped in traditions. Getting them steeped in preferences. Oh, we need to understand today, when we talk about we expect people to come and die, we cannot impose upon them our preferences or our traditions. We have got to be able to simply allow them to receive the glory, the grace, the mercy of a living God and then live it out. And the way they live it out may not be the way you live it out. But that's really not any of your business, is it? That's God's business. We need to learn to take care of God's business and quit worrying about our business and see what God will do. Rules and regulations are based upon preference, not upon convictions. I want her to put this way. Preferences are many. Convictions are few. Need to remember that. Preferences are always changing, but convictions never change. So the next time, and if you've been in Christianity in a length of time, you've been in these discussions. The next time you get in a heated discussion about a topic, ask yourself, is this a preference or is this a conviction? If it's a preference, let it go. But if it's a conviction, be willing to die for it. If it's a preference, be flexible in your attitude. But it's a conviction, stand firm on the principles. My preferences... Where I eat out after church today, that's my preference. You might want to go somewhere that I don't like. It's my preference so I don't have to go with you. That's okay. My preference, where I go on vacation, whether it's to Orlando or to the mountains or to the beach, that's my preference. My preference, which airline I fly, who's going to give me the most perks, that's my preference. My preference, the color of my clothes, what I wear on a daily, all that is, well, I shouldn't say that. That's not my preference. That's my wife's preference. All the men know that, right? Absolutely. She buys it, brings it home, wear this. Okay. Last summer, she brought a coral shirt home. I thought, oh my goodness, I'm a redneck from Oklahoma. I just can't do this. She said, put it on. I put it on. She said, oh, that looks so good. You're so handsome. I wear it every other day now. Understand what I'm saying? Preferences versus convictions. In matters of preference, be willing to just go along. It doesn't matter. Go along. But in matters of conviction, you need to learn to stand like a rock. Romans 15.1 says, We who are strong ought to bear the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. Romans 14.13, Paul said, Make up your mind. Not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. Know the difference between my preference and my conviction. You know where we really have problems in the church where it really becomes an issue and we're doing this all the time. It's music. Absolutely. Because the older generation doesn't like the sound of the newer generation. Can I tell you something? Your parents didn't like your sound either. 
I love the way you're shouting now. Every generation has a sound that connects them to God. And we have got to be willing to allow the generation that's coming up to connect their sound to the heart of the Father, even though it doesn't sound like what we like. I came to Christ during the charismatic renewal. And the sound of those songs sticks with me yet to this day. It encouraged me, inspires me when I hear some of those old songs and courses. When you hear some of the new stuff, it doesn't encourage or inspire me. But I can worship God through it because I learned that's a preference and it's not about me. It's about people being connected to God. So if we need to change our sound, change our style, change our look in order to draw somebody to Jesus Christ, we should be willing to do that. Thank you for the three of you that said amen. The rest of you get down on your knees and repent right now. It's time to understand. We make major things minor and minor things major. And we fight about things that have nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I got news for you. We don't even have to have music to have church. Think about that. And yet we make it such a big deal. It's about a preference. We need to stop that and allow God to be honored and glorified in our life. Preference is about what appeals to me. Conviction is of what God has taught me. And that's a major difference. We don't add stipulations and rules and regulations to the gospel. That's not what God's wanting us to do. He's wanting us to simply say, we exist for you and we invite you with us to come and die for Jesus Christ. And then find new life through Him as He ministers into your heart and into your life. I want to touch on a very touchy subject right now. I told the board in our last meeting I was going to deal with this on several Sundays, so this is the first one, all right? Here we go. You might want to fasten your seatbelt. Some of you might be ready to fall out of your seat when I start down this road. But you need to understand the difference between preference pardon me, and conviction. When I first came, there was no doubt in my mind five years ago that there was one thing that had to be done. At some point, and I didn't know where down the road that would happen, at some point, we need to rename and rebrand this church. Now, we're not doing away with Christian Heritage Church. It's 106 years old. We can't wipe it off or wipe it out, and that's not the intention. But the intention is to give a fresh look a new name, an opportunity for people who don't know Jesus to be drawn to Him and not have the baggage of yesterday attached to us. You say, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, you need to wake up and smell the roses. There's been so much baggage attached to this church that is not good. Matter of fact, it's evil that we need to break away from so God can do new things in this place. When we first came, Yvonne and I told everybody who we were, where we were at, and I kid you not, at least one-third of the people we talked to made this statement, oh, I used to go there, or my family used to go there. I heard it again and again. So I was dumb enough to ask the question, why did you leave? And they gave me a horror story. Listen to me, friends. Some of you left, and you've come back. Some of you stayed faithful through the whole time. A lot of you are new, so this is all new to you. You don't understand the past. But at some point, we have got to say, the past no longer defines us. The future, God's plan, God's grace, God's anointing is what defines us today. Amen. Amen. You say, well, I just don't think it's right. Well, it's already happened before. 
1984, this church changed its name when they moved from Thomasville Road out to North Monroe. They changed the name from First United Pentecostal Holiness Church of Tallahassee. God, I'm glad I don't have that name, aren't you? That would be horrible. To Christian Heritage Church. That was a great change. Great growth occurred. There were many, many good years that happened during that span of time. But now it's time to recognize there's nothing sacred in a name. Changing the name doesn't change the message. The message is always the same. Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, lived a sinful life, died on the cross for my sin, and He rose again on the third day, and He's ever making intercession for me. The message never changes. But the method of delivery can change every week. We need to understand that. There is nothing sacred in a name. Matter of fact, for those of you who are skeptics, read your Bible. There are 44 instances of God changing someone's name. And each time it dealt with the destiny that was in front of them, not the past that was behind them. I'm no longer interested in being attached to a past that's behind us. I want to pursue the destiny that's in front of us and see what God has for this group of believers. Folks, every week I see it. I believe it. This place is full. God is going to bring them in from the north, the south, the east, and the west. It is time to apply Isaiah 43 18 and 19. Remember you not the former things, neither consider the things of old. God says, I am doing a new thing. You will know it. He said, I'm going to open streams in the wilderness. I'm going to walk bright highways in the, in the desert. You're going to see what I can do. It allows no baggage to call, follow us. Every time God changed someone's name, gave him a fresh start, a new identity, a new beginning. Sometimes churches need a new beginning too. So think about it this way. 44 instances, I'm going to give you three of the most well-known. God changed Abram's name to Abraham. Now you know that Abram meant high father. But Abraham meant the father of nations. There's a real difference in those two, isn't there? One spoke to who he was, one spoke to who he was going to be. He changed Sarah's name from Sarai to Sarah. Sarah meant my princess, but Sarah meant the mother of nations. What a difference. He changed Jacob to Israel. He said, your name shall no longer be Jacob. People will no longer say about you that you received the blessings through trickery and deceit. But rather, they'll call you Israel and you received the blessings by striving with God. From Jacob to Israel. Think about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul in Hebrew circles was known as Saul. But on the road to Damascus, when Jesus Christ interrupted his life, saved him, called him into full-time ministry, he called him not to Jews, but to Gentiles. So Paul stopped using that Hebrew name and began using his Latin or his Greek name, which was Paul, because of the audience he was going to reach. Do you hear what I'm saying? Anytime God does that, it's to change us and align us with our destiny for the future. And I believe that's what God wants to do in this house and in this place. So beginning next Sunday, there will be an insert in your handout that allows you to participate in the process. We're going to allow you to make suggestions, be a part of this. Now listen, don't get your feelings hurt if I happen to think, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. 
Don't get your feelings hurt if your suggestion isn't chosen. Realize we're seeking God in this process, and we want you to be involved. We are here to reach those that are not here yet. And to do that, we must be relevant. It doesn't mean we change the message. The message never changes. The music can change. The style can change. The appearance can change. But nothing about the message ever changes. It always remains central to who we are. Matter of fact, when we hired Pastor Mike and Amy in January, my directive to him is I want you to figure out what we need to do to reach the 18 to 35-year-old group. Why did I say that? Because the church is always one generation away from extinction. And if we aren't relevant to that age group, we will die on the vine. Folks, hear me. I love you. I appreciate you. I am so thankful for those who are 35 and up. I'm thankful for those who are 70 and up. You have stood the test of time. You've been the rock. Now, let's bring them in and pass the baton onto a generation that wants to see the gospel continue in their lives and in their families. That's what it's all about. It's not simply because it's something we want to do that's catchier. Matter of fact, let me say it this way. If you write down a name that's traditional, it's going in the trash. If you write down a name that is, uh, I don't want to say it, edgy and contemporary, it's going in the trash. I want to hear the heart of God. What does God say about us? What does God say about our destiny and where does he want us to go? Somebody say amen. You see, when we become consumed with the vision of Christ, We realize we have the responsibility to reach everyone around us. And when we understand that, then we will push the boundaries of what has been to see the land, the vista of what yet could be. See, Paul wrote it this way in Ephesians 3.20. He said, Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that I could ask or even begin to think. You see, God's greater than your dreams, greater than your vision, greater than your heart, greater than your mind. Isn't it time to walk in and say, God, I want to see what you see for Christian Heritage Church and for Tallahassee, Florida. Romans chapter 4. Most of you know it. It's a great chapter on faith. Paul's writing about Abraham. He's writing about the fact that God called Abraham out of the land of his fathers to follow him to a place he had not yet been. A place that was unknown. How many of you know that's the biggest fear in humanity? The unknown. What might happen that we don't know could happen. But God called Abraham to follow him. And then in verse 17 of Romans chapter 4, he says, In the presence of him whom he believed. He's talking about Abraham. In the presence of God. He believed in God. In the presence of him in whom he believed. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Did you know what I'm saying? God isn't seeing what we're seeing today. He's seeing what's going to happen tomorrow and next week and next month and this year and next year. He's calling the things that are not as though they already are. So when I say to you, this place is going to be full, I'm calling the things that are not as though they already are. You need to get in faith with me. You need to be inviting people to come. I invited 22 people this week to come to church. Did you know that? None of them came. You know what I'm going to do next week? I'm going to invite 32. Because I'm convinced one of them is going to say, I want to see what that's all about. I want to see what that's all about. 
When you go ahead and read Romans chapter 4, it says in verse 18, who contrary to hope, speaking of Abraham, believed in hope so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. Verse 19, being not weak in faith, he didn't consider his own body dead since he was about 100 years old. He was pretty much dead. And the deadness of Sarah's womb. Rather, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced. Oh, somebody hear it. Being fully convinced that what God promised, he was able also to perform. How many of you know there's a promise over this house? There's a promise over this place. God wants to use this house to reach the lost, to reach the city, to reach the state, to reach the nation, to reach the world. It's time to stop staggering at the promise of God and stand in faith. Do not stagger at the promise of God, but stand in faith and believe that what God had promised what God had promised, he was able also to conform, to perform. You see, when the vision of God begins to fill your heart and fill your life, when you lift up your eyes and look on the harvest fields that are already white in the harvest, it moves you, it motivates you, it empowers you, it strengthens you out of that little comfort zone. And into the zone where the Holy Ghost of a living God flows through you in might and power and wonderful, amazing, marvelous, miraculous things begin to occur. Because you stepped out of your comfort and you stepped in to His power. You see, when we have the vision of God, the power of God comes alive in us. And we receive what God wants to do in our lives. We're no longer living as we were as humans. We're living in the overflow. How many know that's the word for this year? It's overflow. We're living in the overflow. And in the overflow, we're empowered, we're encouraged, we're strengthened, and we're enabled to do the works of the kingdom. I told you last week. We can't do this. It's humanly impossible. We can't save anyone. But God has called us to partner with Him to do what only He can do. Isn't that amazing? He chose to offer you the opportunity to put your hand in the living God and say, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to talk with you. And when you tell me, I'm going to tell people about you. And when that happens, amazing things occur in hearts and in lives. When Yvonne and I came to CHC five years ago in January, she had to go back home to Colorado for a couple of weeks to set everything in order, and I stayed here. I could have got a motel room, but I didn't want to do that. I chose instead to sleep right here in the church. For two weeks, I stayed in this building. I was up most nights, all night, praying and seeking God and walking the building. God, what's your, what's your plan for this place? God, what do you want me to do in this place? How do you want us to set this house back in order and move forward in the kingdom? He gave me four things. First thing, first thing he said is you need to figure out the debt. Because the debt was $13.165 million. The debt was unbelievable. The debt was unserviceable. The debt was that part of the past. It was like an anchor, a lead weight around the neck of this church pulling us down. Second thing he said is, I want you to get the people to dream again. Dream again. Imagine this place full. Dream again. Tell what a wonderful church we have. Dream again. 
And third, he said, I want you to turn people loose to do the work of the ministry. They've been handcuffed, whether it's by fear, whether it's by failure, whether it's because of the past, turn them loose to do the work of the ministry. And the fourth thing he said is, then watch me, God, build my church. So, you know, I was shocked that it took five years just to get to number one. But I'm telling you, on September 25th of last year, when I stroked that new loan agreement, and we see almost $5 million disappear from that debt, I realized God has done it His way. It wasn't my way. It was His way. Matter of fact, just so you know, part of that agreement is we sell the commercial part of this plaza. And this last week, we had three offers on the plaza. We've accepted one of them. We'll go under contract next week and close within 45 days. And God will handle that debt issue. Somebody ought to give Him praise. Somebody ought to give Him glory. Somebody ought to say, that's God doing what only God can do. Hallelujah. Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. Father, we pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you, and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church, we invite you to join us at Christian Heritage Church on Shera Road in Tallahassee, Florida, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. For a worship service where the presence of God has first place, you're invited to Christian Heritage Church. Sunday morning service is at 10.30, Wednesday evening at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For all the latest information, visit our website, chctoday.com.